we're talking about heart issues. We're continuing a series on heart issues. And um, we've kind of opened this last week just kind of in review that your heart is the most valuable thing that you possess. Your heart makes up everything that you are. And you could easily argue that all of Scripture is a story of God's pursuit of the hearts of men. From the very beginning, God has been pursuing the hearts of all people. That's what he wants. He wants the hearts of his children. He wants us desperately, all of us, not in part, but the whole of our hearts. And so we looked at kind of defining what our hearts are because our American understanding, our modern American understanding of the heart is different than the uh, Jewish or the Hebrew understanding of the heart. So we kind of gave definition to that and we'll revisit that here in a moment. But basically your heart is everything that you are, the core of your being. The American thinks of heart as being the seat of our affections, our emotions, and our desires. And that's true. But a Hebrew understanding is much more complex than that. A Hebrew would understand, they would hear the word heart in Scripture, and it's over and over and over in Scripture. They'd hear the word heart, and they would hear seat of your intellect. Your heart is the seat of your, it's your, your mind. The seat of your thinking, your thoughts and perceptions, the way that you interact with the world. Yes, you have a natural brain that operates your body, that operates your eyeballs so you can see and speak, all of those things. But your mind, your intellect, that's seated in your heart. Your understanding, your wisdom. The heart was also believed to be your, your will, your purpose. And again, we'll visit these things in a moment. So when the Lord is saying, I want your heart, he's saying, I want it all. I want everything that you are. And we looked at Proverbs um, 4.23. That's kind of our anchor verse where our, our title, our series title comes from. It says to guard your heart with all diligence because from your heart flow the issues of life. Meaning all of the content of your life is issuing forth, flowing forth from your heart. Look at your neighbor and say, you got issues. <laughs> Now say, I got issues too. <laughs> we all got issues. <laughs> all of the content of your life is flowing from your heart. There's nothing that you experience that doesn't pass through first the fountain of your heart. And that means the way you respond to the world around you, but also um, those things that are done to you, the way, yeah, the way you respond to those things. We can't control what's done to us, but how we respond to what happens around us flows through our heart. The way that we behave, all of it passes through the heart. That's why the Lord wants the heart. If he can get the hearts of his priests, then he's got all of us. And that's what he wants. He wants all of you, not just a piece of you. And that is the pursuit of life. I have found that is our purpose. As the priests of God, I wake up every morning with this desire to surrender my heart to the Lord. And if I can successfully pursue that, that one thing, that I'm going to surrender who I am to God, then everything else will line up in my life. If I'm actively pursuing surrender to the Lord. So we've got issues. <laughs> we've got things flowing through our heart. And the content of our heart has to be surrendered to the Lord. If you want the Father to begin to work revival, work discipleship, work the kingdom into your life, it's going to require surrender with the heart, not activity. Activity does not equate revival. A bunch of activity doesn't equate discipleship. 
We can do a lot of stuff, but it doesn't equate the kingdom being made manifest on the earth. Surrender is the only way that heaven comes to earth through each one of us. And that's what we've been invited to partake of. And so last week, we looked specifically at what happens when we neglect to surrender. What happens when I refuse to give God access to my heart? What happens when I refuse to surrender my will, my purpose, my emotions, affections, all those things? So we looked extensively at heart neglect. Tonight, I want to look more at heart surrender. What happens when I get it right? <laughs> what, what does that look like? And what does it mean to surrender? Practically, how do we walk this out? And we'll be looking at more practicals a little bit more next week, but we're going to move that direction of just practical application. But um, oh, one, one of these quotes, I'm going to try to honor Mac, who worked so diligently to enter in all of my notes and try to go by some of these notes. But last week, in a nutshell, is to neglect surrender to God is to neglect your own heart. If I neglect to surrender to God, I'm not just saying, no, you can't come in. I'm actually, it's detrimental to me. It's not just a matter of, um, you know, I, you know I, get to the, I get to choose. We, we do get to choose. And that's what, that, what plays into that scripture, Proverbs 4.23. We are given stewardship of our hearts, meaning we are guards of our hearts. What does a guard do? A guard gives access or denies access. I can give access to the things of God, to the Holy Spirit, to the Word of God, and I can deny access to the lies of the enemy. I can deny access to the things of this world and give access to God. So I've got a role to play in stewarding my heart, but God is not going to take access. He won't do that. He will not take your heart. He will not take your will, your purpose, your affections. They have to be yielded to him. When we deny him that access, it's to our own detriment. So tonight we're going to talk about what happens when I give him that access. What happens when I live a life of surrender? So when we surrender access to our hearts, our access to our hearts to God, this is worship. This equates worship. Worship is not the music that we play at the beginning of service. The music that we engage in is to facilitate your individual surrender. We engage in music because this is what is modeled for us in scripture because there's something, there is something to be said about what music does to us, how it engages us. I believe Jesus loves music. God loves music. He loves sound. It's holy unto him. But we can sing songs all night. But if surrender has not taken place, worship has not taken place. What happens on this stage is to facilitate surrender. And when inner heart surrender has happened, then worship has happened. That's why during the worship service and when we're rushing to get to church, the enemy will do everything he can to distract you during that time. He'll get you looking at the guitar player. He'll have you analyzing what is that girl wearing on the stage? Like, does she know how she looks? You know, he'll get you distracted by the person on your row, by so-and-so. Man, like, where well, they're really getting it. <laughs> like, you know, getting after Jesus, whatever it takes. The enemy wants to distract you from engaging in actual surrender. Because the Lord knows if I can get you, get you surrendered, if I can get you in that state where your, your heart is malleable and soft to me and you're yielded to me, then I've got you. I've got your whole life. Your life will follow your heart. Where your heart goes, your life will go with it. Amen? Um, I love John 4.23. 
It's one of my life scriptures. Uh, this was one of those scriptures the Lord um, woke me up to once. Like, I want you to go look up this scripture. I was really young, so I didn't know what it was. And I was a little offended because it's the Lord talking to the woman at the well that she had a rough life. And I'm like, Lord, excuse me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just here, thanks. But John 4, 23, it says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Everybody say spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. So when we are talking about surrender, what are we surrendering to? To the Holy Spirit, to the spirit of the living God and to the truth that is in Christ, the truth of God's word. This is what we surrender to, to spirit and to truth. When we're talking about surrendering our lives to God, we are surrendering to his Holy Spirit, the leading of his spirit in our everyday lives, and to his truth, what he communicates to us through his word, his logos written word, and his rhema spoken word, what God is speaking to your heart. He will, he will speak to us all day, but until we actually obey and yield to his spoken word, we're not really getting anywhere. Um, I lived a lot of life really enjoying studying the word and receiving revelation, but not actually yielding to it, <laughs> not actually obeying it. I had fun studying the word and spending time with the Lord, but, you know, I'll take this, but I'll leave that, you know. It's when we actually begin to yield to his word that we begin to see personal revival. We actually begin the journey of discipleship, and we see the kingdom of God made manifest within us and in those around us. So John 4, 23, what are we surrendering to? Spirit and truth. We are surrendering daily, moment by moment. There's opportunity to submit again, submit again, surrender again. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. So I want us to just define quickly our key terms. I think there's power in kind of having some clear definitions because then we're all on the same page. Um, just, are we doing good? Am I, sometimes I talk fast and I get excited. Y'all, everybody with me? You're good, okay. So I want to just define these terms real quickly. We talked about them briefly. The heart. What is the heart? The heart is the seat of your intellect, your understanding, perceptions, emotions, affections. Can y'all see that? Oh, thank the Lord. It's real tiny what I'm looking at. So um, I, I just want you to be able to see this. I'm a visual person and I like to see words. So I wanted you to see these words if you are like me. Intellect, understanding, perceptions, emotions, affections, desires, your will, your purpose and character. Your heart is everything that you are. So we're not just talking about our desires and our affections. Those are included, but there's so much more than that going on when the scripture talks about your heart and scripture has a ton to say about your heart. The word heart is cited over 800 times in the King James Version. It's over 800 times from cover to cover. The Bible has a ton to say about your heart. Why? Because it's what God's after. He has a lot to say about it. Next is to surrender. I love this definition. It says to surrender is to cease resistance and submit to an authority. I'm going to cease resisting you, Father. And there are areas in my life, in my heart, where some areas, it's easy for me to yield to him. There's some areas that are super easy. I can yield. I've been pretty much like my career path. has. It's been somewhat easy to yield that to the Lord. 
But when I was dating uh, or like trying to find a man, it was a hard thing to yield to the Lord. It's like, God, you can have my career, but I'll take care of the husband. Like, I got this. And that was a hard place to yield. So that's why there's always this process of search me, know me. If there's anything in me that's not aligned with you, I want to I give that to you also. There's always more that we can be giving and yielding to the Father in an act of surrender. So I love to, you know, I ask the Lord often in worship, what am I holding back from you? What am I holding like this? Like, you cannot have this part. You can have all this, but I want this. Because oftentimes in worship, that will be the thing he's trying to pinpoint. Like, just some things. Like, honey, we need to work on this. I'm like, oh, God, no. (laughs) But that's breakthroughs on the other side of that. Every time you relinquish a part of your heart, there is breakthrough on the other side of that. Every time you give him more, you will step into more of his kingdom, more of experiencing the power and the anointing of the living God, the thing that you were created to experience in this life, you will step into the fullness of it the more you are willing to relinquish, to surrender. The next word I want us to be, this is our next and last, is the Hebrew word for worship. It's like, oh Lord, anybody take Hebrew? Shaka. Everybody say shaka. Let me hear. Yeah, make it fun, make it fun. If you don't know how to say it, make it fun. <laughs> the Hebrew word for worship, shaka, means to lay prostrate. Worship in scripture actually means to lay on your face. It's not, it didn't have anything to do with music. It has to do with laying on your face. It's a posture that you take to bow down or to be face down. And so if we see the connection between these things, that in order for my heart to actually get to a place of worship, I have to lay it down. I have to lay my heart down prostrate. And here is a visual. So we talked about what we're surrendering to. It's God's spirit and God's truth. But I wanted to go to this visual of heart, surrender, and worship. Yeah, here we go. Venn diagram. You can't go wrong with a Venn diagram. Here we are. (laughs) But see over here, you've got the heart moving toward worship. A life that is moving toward a life of worship. What connects the two is surrender. The ultimate goal is that these two circles would completely overlap, meaning all of my heart is surrendered. And when all of my heart is surrendered, then I'm living a life of worship. The more I'm willing to surrender, the more I have stepped into a life of worship, where all of my being, all of my existence has become a life unto God. I've laid my life down. I've become a living sacrifice. Everything that I am, your will, your emotions, affections, desires, purpose, all of those things that we named when we defined heart, all of that is given now to the Father. And that is worship. If surrender hasn't taken place, worship hasn't taken place. When you're actively pursuing wisdom, sorry, when you're actively pursuing surrender, you're walking in ministry. This is ministry. We are all called to a life of ministry. And that's why ministry doesn't have anything to do with your title. It has to do with your heart, the posture of your heart. When you are living a laid down life to God, you can be scrubbing toilets and be a minister unto God. You can be doing anything because it is not about your activity. It is about the posture of your heart. My heart has been laid down, prostrate, face down, bowed down before the Lord. That means all of the content of my being, I have yielded. I have given over to him. And that's worship. And that's why you're called to ministry. 
and it, raise your hand if you've been called to ministry. Everybody in this room better raise your hand. I'm going to come for you if you didn't raise it. <laughs> You're called to ministry. You are a minister. That's what being a priest is all about, is I have been called to bear my heart before the Lord, to give him the full content of my life. And in doing so, I now become a minister to everyone around me. Amen? So I want us to, for a moment, quickly, um, oh, I moved fast, guys. Yes. Woo, praise the Lord. I'm so, I have a time problem. I'm just going to, confession time. I have an issue with time, and when I'm on, like, I have a set time I have to hit. It makes me so nervous, but I'm doing great, so yay. <laughs> We're good. We got time. <laughs> um, I want to review quickly our story. It's in Psalm 6. We start in, oh, I'm so sorry, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 6. Calm down, girl. Get it right. We're in 2 Samuel 6, and I love chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. You need to just sit down and just read through it and enjoy it because it speaks volumes. I could preach this sermon every which way because there's just so much here. It's such a beautiful picture, and I believe it's a picture of what we're talking about. It's a picture of surrender. And last week, we, we kind of went over the first segment of the story. So just quickly to review, Psalm, or 2 Samuel 6, Lord Jesus, is about David bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David. He's going to get, and can we put up a picture of the Ark? Because I realize, you know, some people never seen it, the, the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant is this precious, precious um, central point of the tabernacle of Moses. This is the Ark of the Covenant where the blood was shed on the top of this. The top of it is called the mercy seat. And the blood of the sacrifice was put on this mercy seat. And that was, you know, a picture of Christ. You know, the, the mercy that atoned, or the blood that atoned for our sin. And the Spirit of God would dwell upon the mercy seat between the two cherubim. And inside of the Ark were sacred things. There was the rod of Aaron. The laws, the tablets of Moses were kept inside of this. And manna. God fed the children of Israel manna in the desert. All of that was contained in here. And I love the ark because I look at it as a picture of our hearts. This is like a, a natural picture of what our hearts are. We, the Spirit of God dwells on us. The blood on the mercy seat, the blood of Jesus has been shed abroad in our heart. And within the mercy seat is the rod of Aaron. That is a picture of the authority of the priesthood. You are a priest it's who you are. It's who you are at the core of your being. And then you have the tablets of Moses. The scripture says, I want to give you a heart of flesh so that I can write my law on your heart. Where we actually, our hearts become the very will of God. He's writing his nature, his character, his law, his way of doing things on your heart every day as you engage in relationship with him. And then the last thing in this ark was the, the manna. The manna, the bread that the children of Israel ate every day. And I, you can make different correlations, but I kind of, I correlate it personally to the Holy Spirit because manna means what is it? What is this? And for centuries, that has been the church's response to Holy Spirit. Like, what is this? <laughs> Who is he? What is he? What does he do? 
and everybody's been confused about that person of the Trinity for centuries. <laughs> so I'm like, what is it? It's the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the bread of life on the inside of us. That what is it? The Holy Spirit that makes you who you are, that sets you apart from non-believers. We've got the Spirit of the living God on the inside of us, the bread of life on the inside of us that makes us distinct among all people. We actually bear the presence and the Spirit of God. So this is the thing that David's after. For the past 20 years, this thing has been with an enemy tribe, with the Philistines. And, you know, I didn't mention this last week, but the Philistines, you know, they were not the chosen people of God. And so as long as this was in their camp, they had a lot of illness, boils, sickness, because they weren't burying it rightfully. They weren't supposed to have it. So David's after this. And so last week we talked about David's first attempt to bring it into the city of David. He makes an attempt and it goes all wrong. And this is a picture of neglect. What happens when we neglect to surrender to the Lord? David puts it on an oxen cart. It's not meant to be on an oxen cart. It's supposed to be carried by Levite priests. It's supposed to be carried by the priests. But he does it because it's convenient. And he does it because that's the way the Philistines did it. I'll do it the way they did it, you know? And, uh, and things go wrong. He loses one of his men. When um, Uzzah tries to catch it, when it starts to fall, Uzzah dies. And David goes away from that experience grieved. And he ends up leaving it at Obed-Edom's, a home on the way. And Obed-Edom, if you read into Obed, he's, he comes from a line of Levites. So he's, it's a good place to leave it, but it's not where it's meant to be. It's supposed to be in the city of David because that's the assignment the Lord has spoken to David. And so we pick up, that's a recap, we pick up in 2 Samuel 6, verse 11. And I'm going to go ahead and read a few verses to us, and then we're going to just see what we can glean from this story. So 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11. I want to make sure I hit everything in that quick review. So it says in verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. So this tragedy happens David leaves the ark at Obed's house, and now it's been there for three months. Everybody say three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, say six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. So this right here, I believe, is a prophetic picture of what a life of surrender looks like. You can read in previous verses his failed attempt because of a neglect to surrender. But here we have a picture of what surrender looks like. And I want us to move through just three things I want us to pick up on specifically. There's so much happening here, but just three things I want us to look at specifically. Number one, surrender will cost you your time. Surrender is going to cost you. <laughs> it's going to ultimately, it's going to cost you everything you've got, but it's going to cost you your time. David, it says that scholars, I researched that scholars believe that David spends three months 
trying to find out, searching scrolls, searching scripture, trying to find out how the ark is supposed to be carried. He spends three months in pursuit of this information. Like something went wrong. What am I doing wrong? And he goes to scripture to find out how to carry it correctly. I think that is such a picture of uh, the invitation that is on this house of how long are you willing to search out and to seek the heart of the Father? Now, I believe that there is an invitation on our house for revival. But revival is always, uh, before revival happens, the precursor is seeking God in prayer. And all of us have to determine what our threshold is. For some of us, it's, we can't make it further than a week of diligent hungering and seeking after the Father. It's wherever your threshold is in seeking after the Father with desperation and hunger, wherever that is, right on the other side of that threshold is revival. On the other side of your threshold, on the other side of where you are done looking, I'm done seeking, I'm done chasing, I'm done reading the word, I've exhausted my energies seeking him and sitting at his feet. Wherever your threshold is on the other side of that, is revival. We have to be willing to press through that threshold. We collectively as a church have to be willing to seek a little longer, to hunger more. I want to ask you, are you hungry for God? Do you feel desperate for him? Because God cannot make you desperate. You have to choose to be desperate. David had chosen to be desperate. I am not going to quit until the ark of the Lord is brought into the city of David. I'm not going to stop searching scripture. I'm not going to stop engaging with the heart of God until I see this thing come to pass. I believe that the Lord is wanting to move his ark of revival into Victory Life Church in Sherman. But there's an invitation upon us of how desperate are you willing to become for the manifest presence of God. We can talk about revival all day, but until we are willing to surrender in the pursuit there is a pursuit of the presence, a pursuit of God where, where enough is never enough, where I have cultivated in myself a zeal for God, a hunger for him. I have to see more. I will not quit until I see the ark of revival come into my house. Amen. We have to stir that up in yourself because nobody can do that for you. <laughs> nobody can make you want Jesus. You have to just one day decide, this is what I want. He is what I want. I don't want anything else. It's like, take the world, give me Jesus. He is what I want. I experienced something similar to this in an area of my life a few years ago. And I've shared this testimony in the past. But um, I think it was like 2015. I, um, I had just become zealous for more. I just wanted to see more of God. I wanted to experience more of him. I just, I wanted to see him move in fresh ways. I was hungry to see just a move of God, to see more signs and wonders, just more. I just want more of you. Whatever it looks like, I want more. And so in my mind, I, I began to build my ox cart, <laughs> my oxen cart. And for me, that looked like I'm going to read a lot of stuff. And I'm going to watch a lot of YouTube videos <laughs> of ministers who I knew were operating in the way that I wanted to operate. And so I started consuming Bill Johnson books and watching him a lot on YouTube and Heidi Baker. I got obsessed with Heidi Baker. And I don't know if anybody know Heidi Baker, 
Mama Heidi, she's a precious woman of God, started reading everything that she was writing, watching her, her minister around the clock. I am talking around the clock, 24-7. I would wake up at night, and I would just spend, I would lay on the floor just seeking the Lord, doing what I saw modeled in Heidi and Bill. And I started, you know, I'm reading books by Mother Teresa, and I'm watching all these um, um, oh, y'all know the, the Finger of God series, the document documentaries. I'm watching those around the clock. I'm just bombarding. I just want to saturate myself. And that is not a bad thing. Uh, you know, studying revival, saturating ourselves with the Word of God. That none of these are bad things. Everything I'm saying, this is great. This is good. Do, do more of this. We need to do more of this. But I was, I was making revival in my life dependent upon what these other people had experienced, what these other people had done. And if I can align myself with what these people have done, then maybe I'll get the same results that they got. Rather than seeking what God wanted for me to do, the unique thing that he had called me to. And I spent months in this pursuit until I exhausted myself. I had come to my threshold. I was worn out. And one evening I was painting in my house, um, and I was talking to the Lord. I was up on a ladder talking to the Lord. I'm listening to Heidi Baker, and I'm just like, I've had enough. And I, I climbed down off the ladder. I turned off Heidi, I'm like, shh, girl, and I lay down on the floor. And I'm like, God, none of this is working. I have been, been, been in hot pursuit of you for three months, and I don't feel changed at all. I feel the exact same. Why is it working for Heidi and it's not working for me? What is going on? And I honestly, I did not get an answer. So if you're waiting for what did he say, what did he say? There was no answer. <laughs> I just laid there and wept, and I felt like I'd failed. I'd come to the end of myself. I had exhausted myself, and I was no different for it. And I remember just walking away from that season like, well, that was a waste of my time. <laughs> but within a few weeks, something happened. Something cool happened. Um, I was invited to start leading a life group, a worship life group. So my sister-in-law and I began leading a worship life group, one in Sherman and one in Durant. And these worship life groups were mostly with prophetic teams and, and teams of leaders um, in both of our locations. So we're, we're just surrounded by all of these prophetic people. There are prophetic teams. And um, we go in and we do this. We end up doing this almost like between two and three years leading these two life groups in Sherman and in Durant. And we led these life groups with no agenda whatsoever. Sometimes Tate, my sister-in-law, and I would come in there. We didn't even know what songs we were going to lead. But we knew that we were collectively hungry just for the Lord. I wasn't hungry for what he could do in me or through me. I just wanted him. I just want your face. I've already spent months try trying to get you to do something. Now I'm just going to look at your face. I'm just going to sit at your feet. And so we just sat at the feet of the Lord in those gatherings week after week after week. And I look back on that time. And I experienced more personal transformation and that time than I probably had collectively over the span of my life, just sitting at the feet of Jesus with no agenda. I didn't need him to do anything for me. I didn't need him to show up a certain way. He could come in and do whatever he wanted. We just wanted to love on him. We just want to enjoy being with him and singing to him and seeing his face. And my life was transformed. I believe those times of sitting 
at his feet with no agenda increase the anointing on your life. They increase the giftings on your life. Their vision is released over your life when you just sit at his feet with no agenda. Vision and the grace to actually walk it out is released on your life when you practice just sitting at his feet with no agenda. David sought the scripture for three months and he didn't give up until breakthrough happened. How long are you willing to cultivate a hunger and a zeal for God? Are you willing to linger at his feet a while? Are you willing to stay with him? Or at what point do you get fed up? Nothing's happened, so I'm going to move on. (laughs) Or I'll take it from here, Lord. I believe as a church, the Lord is asking us, push through the threshold. Push through that place. There are times in worship, you know, this is something I've learned to practice in worship. Back in the day, you know, you, and you hear this a lot. I know, I know us because humans were pretty much all the same. But there will be moments in worship where it's like, how many times are we going to sing that line? Like, like, let's move on to the chorus, okay? <laughs> and I believe those are threshold moments. The moment when you disengage in worship and you're over it, that's a threshold moment. That is an invitation from Holy Spirit to engage again. Press in and surrender again. The moments of discomfort that happen in our, in our public gatherings, those are threshold moments. What are you going to do with the discomfort? Are you going to press into presence? Are you going to disengage? The Lord is asking us to press through that threshold, to press through and to want him anyway. Want him in spite of being distracted. Want him in spite of being over the set list and ready to move on. Want him in spite of being over the sermon and ready to move on. God has something for you on the other side of that threshold. Amen? We need to have the anointing of sticking with it. The anointing of sticking with God to the end, to the ark is all the way in the place. That's what it is to go from glory to glory. The Lord will bring you through moments of surrender has brought me this far and now I'm experiencing a new level of God's glory. I'm experiencing a new level of the anointing because I stuck with it. I walked in the anointing of stick with it and now I'm seeing released in my life the fruit of his presence in a way that I never have before. God has that for this house to experience him in a way that we never have before. Amen? Amen. Surrender, number two, surrender will cost you comparison. Surrender will cost you comparison. Meaning, when you're living a life of surrender, you can't afford, well, that's a kind of mixed metaphor. You can't afford to not, uh, to, uh, to compare. You can't afford to compare yourself to other people, the people around you. There is such a potential in this story for David to have looked at Obed-Edom's blessing and felt bitter. David made an attempt to bring the ark into the city of David, and we saw how that went last week. Uzzah dies, and David walks away grieved, grieved. And he says, I get, it's basically like, I guess I'll never have the ark. And he leaves it at Obed-Edom's house. And now he gets report that Obed-Edom's entire household has been blessed because of the presence of the ark. There's so much potential as David in these three months is pursuing how to carry the ark. And, and like, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get breakthrough. I'm trying to get revival. I'm trying to step into my next. And here Obed-Edom is, he ain't done nothing. And his whole house is being blessed by the presence of the ark. 
there is this potential David David could have potentially been comparing himself to Obed-Edom. And the moment we begin to compare ourselves one another is the moment that that revival stops. It's cut off. When you start comparing your gifts to so-and-so's gifts and your anointing to so-and-so's gifts and the way God is moving in their life but not yours, when we start comparing one to another, revival stops. The ark never makes it. David could have become bitter at Obed-Edom, and the ark would have never made it, and he would not have fulfilled his potential. The ark had to get to David because then he entrusted his son Solomon to the building of the temple for the ark. There's something generational about not comparing yourself to other people. You're carrying something generational, and if you start looking at other people and comparing anointing to anointing, that's the quickest way to stop a corporate revival, is we're going to start comparing ourselves. Why waste our time? We need what is in each one of the people in this room, and to carry corporately a revival, you're going to have to step into the fullness of who you are without referring to what anybody else is doing. And own the mantle that God has put on the inside of you. You have to own the call to bear the ark. You have to own it. And each one of us have to own it together. And that's how you carry revival. It's a people that are united. Because we're not looking at each other. We're looking at Jesus. Amen? No, I, I want to be real because I think it brings impact. I feel, um, I felt this. I experienced this just within the last few years. It was before I started speaking at our church in Maine, um, in our Maine services. So it was probably like 2016 or 2017. And um, I remember, um, oh, so let me give you some context. Anybody know Pastor Zach Backus? Zach Backus from, he is the Durant campus pastor. Zach Backus is awesome. I, I, I joke about how um, my marriage has been successful because of Holy Spirit and Zach Backus. Like he, he counseled my husband and I thoroughly when we were dating. And then our first year in marriage, we just met with him on a regular basis. I love Zach. He's a father to me in the faith. But Zach's my same age. And there was a season, we're the same age. And he, if you knew how, if you know him, you're like, oh, dang, <laughs> he's, he's so wise. The man is anointed. I love him. And I love the way he ministers. And I remember just looking at him like, ugh. How do you do this? We're the same age. Like, who do you think you are, Zach Backus? And we've had these conversations, so if he's watching, it's okay. <laughs> Nobody get offended for him. We've already talked about this. But I remember reaching out to him, and I'm like, Zach, how do you get people to listen to you? Like, how do you get them to listen? Like, I knew how to call to teach, but ain't nobody listening. So, like, <laughs> and um, I'm asking him, and he's like, basically, his response was basically to me, I can't remember it word for word, but he's like, it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you, Antoinette, number one. Number two, you need to be a servant. Just be a servant. Don't worry about um, your titles or your stage time or all this stuff. Just serve people. Just show up to people and remember it's not about you. And I find it so interesting that Obed means servant of God. Just become the servant. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't compare ourselves one to another. Just become the servant. And after that conversation with Zach, that's what I walked away with. It's like, there's nothing I can do to have the anointing that he has. His anointing is for Zach Bacchus. It's not for anybody else, and nobody can touch it. Your portion is for you, and nobody can touch your portion. It's yours and nobody else's. 
So I can't take Zach's portion and he can't take mine. And so I took that as a cue. Well, girl, you need to buckle down and walk in relationship with Jesus. Just become the servant and walk in relationship with Jesus. And you will naturally begin to step into the call. If you're called, it's going to happen. Nobody can stop it if you just keep your eyes on Jesus. But if you start looking at everybody else and what everybody else is doing, you will stop yourself. You will cut revival off, discipleship off, uh, the kingdom being manifest through your life. You will stop it yourself. God will never stop you. He is all about you walking in personal revival. He's all about the kingdom being made manifest through your life. He is all about that. But we can stop it when we get into the mode of comparison. Amen? Amen. Just become the servant. Number three, surrender will cost you your pace. Everybody say pace. Pace. It's the speed at which you move. <laughs> the way you move, the rhythm of your life. Surrender is going to cost you your pace. When we look at this uh, scripture, let's see if we can go back here. Yeah, verse 13. I don't know if we can pull up. 2 Samuel 6, verse 13. Mm-mm, you are on it. So good. Verse 13, it says, When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, everybody say six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. He sacrificed a bull every six steps. So there is debate about this one piece of scripture. Their scholars don't know if David took six steps. The whole congregation, remember, they're moving with thousands of people. So thousands of people are participating in bringing this ark into the city. So there's debate if he took six steps and he made a sacrifice and then they went on. But scholars lean toward that David took six steps, made a sacrifice, then took six steps and made another sacrifice, and took six steps and made another sacrifice, all the way from Obed-Edom's house into the city. So you're looking at upwards of a hundred heifers, and I love that word, heifer, this is funny. A <laughs> hundred heifers and a hundred sheep being sacrificed all along this way. So he takes six steps and he makes a sacrifice. This is a prophetic picture of your life where you wake up and you're like, Lord, I'm not going to take six breaths. I'm not going to wait six minutes before I engage with you again. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not, you know, six days, six weeks. I'm going to change and submit the pace, the movement of my life. I'm going to surrender the pace of my life to you, God. Um, I look at this and it makes me think of um, just our daily, just daily rhythms. There's, oh man, I'm so bad about this. Scripture's popping into my head and then I can't actually tell you where they are because I'm not Jacob Sheriff and I can't just tell you where these scriptures are. But there's a scripture and it's specific, I'll look it up later and I'll tell y'all, but about, um, it's in the message translation and it talks about the rhythms of grace that there is a rhythm of grace that we enter when we decide to live our life in such a way that every six steps, I'm surrendering again. And, and that being a picture of how we live like all day long. We don't just surrender on Sunday and Wednesday. It's like I wake up and it's like, God, I lay me down. That's surrendering. That's a picture of that the surrendering of that heifer or of that sheep is a picture of our hearts. I'm going to take six steps and I'm going to lay me down again. I'm going to practice submission to you over and over. And remember your heart, that's your will, your affections, your, will, your purpose, your everything that you are. 
I'm going to lay it down again. And that becoming the rhythm of your life. I want us corporately, I don't know, I don't know what this looks like for us. Every, for every person, it's, it's, you know, it's individual. Um, but the rhythms that we enter, it's, it's really just, um, oh, there's another quote popping in my mind. Get out of here. <laughs> but just this practicing, you know, just cultivating on a daily basis, I'm going to return again. Um, and, and teaching or disciplining ourselves throughout the day to engage again. I remember that being such a big shift for me as a young person because I thought time with the Lord had to look a certain way. I thought it had to look like 30 minutes in silence in my room. And in order for me to actually engage and pay attention to the Lord, my whole room needed to be clean. So I needed to clean my whole bedroom. Everything's got to be just right and put away. I have to have a candle lit and the right worship playing and the mood has to be right. And then I can engage with the Lord. And I did that for years in my teens and would get so frustrated because if those, if the conditions weren't right, then I wouldn't engage. If the conditions weren't right, if all the dishes aren't done, if all the laundry's not done, if I don't have my list done, then I'm not going to engage. And so when, if weeks went by and I hadn't engaged, then I was feeling condemned that I hadn't spent time with the Lord. And so a major shift in my life was from thinking that all the conditions had to be perfect to conditioning my heart to engage with him moment by moment throughout every day. Every time he pops up in my mind, I'm going to talk to him again. I'm going to engage with him again. And this just be the way my life is, talking to him on the road, on the commute. And yes, I believe in having set aside time with the Lord the same way I believe in dating your spouse. We need set aside time with our spouses. Amen? You need to go on dates. You need to have set aside time, focused time with the Father. But just because you're not going on a date with the Father doesn't mean you don't talk to him until you do. You know, I talk to my husband all day, every day. We're either texting, we're having dinner together, we're making plans, we're living our life together. And that is what your picture of your life with the Lord ought to look like. I don't just date him on Sunday or on Wednesday or when all the conditions in my house are perfect. I, I am dating and talking to the Lord, conversing with him on a regular basis. Amen? I've created rhythms in my life where on every occasion, if I'm alone, most likely, if you catch me by myself, I will be talking to myself. It's embarrassing. I do it all the time at home. I'll be talking to myself as I'm cleaning. And my daughter, she's just going to grow up thinking that's normal. I want it to be normal for her. I want to teach her. This is how you cultivate relationship with the Lord. You can talk to him anytime, all day long. Amen? Every six steps, we're going to live a life of surrender. Um, I want to look at, quickly, 2 Samuel 24, 24. A life of surrendered obedience will ultimately cost you everything that you've got. Everything. God wants it all. And I love 2 Samuel 24, 24. This is another life message. It says, and in the context of this, David is negotiating for a threshing floor and he wants to buy, he wants this threshing floor because this is going to be the site of where the temple is built later. So David wants this threshing floor and they want to give it to him because he's the king. And the king said to Arana, <laughs> we'll, we'll just go with that. The king, David, said to Arana, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. I'm, I'm not going to have this cheap relationship with the Lord. 
When I engage with the Lord, I want to give him my heart. I want to give him a new part of me every day. I want to give him more of my will, more of my emotions. We can actually submit our emotions to the Lord. We don't have to let our emotions just take us any which way. Every day, I want, to, I want to live a kind of costly discipleship. I want to live a costly life of surrender where I'm giving him more and more of that which he desires every single day. This was a personal agreement I made with the Lord when I was first starting to lead worship. I, I, I didn't want to ever come on this stage and not actually engage in surrender because it would be easy for me to just come up here and sing. I could just come up here and sing and have no heart connect to the Lord. And some may notice and some may not. But I just told the Lord, I'm not going to do anything that doesn't cost me. If I'm going to come up and sing, I want it to be costly. I want to actually engage in surrender before the Father. And it was that lesson that the Lord took. And he said, I don't just want your heart when you're on the stage. I want this all the time. I want this in your job. I want this when you're momming your kids and when you're loving your spouse. I want this when you're in the grocery store. I want this costly kind of surrender where you're giving me your heart. You're giving me who you are. Amen? That's what we're after. I believe that the Lord is calling us, moving us into a place of revival. But we've got to become um, just ready. We have to become ready to walk in surrender. There's a yielding to the Lord that he's inviting us to, to go deeper, to push past our thresholds and to engage with him in a deep, transformative way where we're not comparing ourselves one to, to another and we're living that costly kind of discipleship where you, God, can have it all. I'm not going to bring you something this morning. I'm not going to bring you something this afternoon. I'm not going to bring you something tonight that costs me nothing. I'm going to give you more of my heart, more of what's precious to me. And on the other side of that always is breakthrough. On the other side of that always is personal revival and the manifestation of the kingdom of God in our lives. Amen? That's what we're called to. So next week, we are going to be wrapping up that story of looking at what happens next because there's some more in chapter six. And I want to look at practical things that we walk in in cultivating a life of surrender. So I want to pray for us. I hope you got something out of tonight. I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. <laughs>